Bible, raise your hand. We have guys passing out Bibles. We're in Romans chapter 3 today. I'd like you to be able to follow along. We're finishing our first series in the book of Romans. We have five series that we're going through as we study through the book of Romans. We're finishing our first today, um, which the first uh, series is titled God's Righteousness Revealing the Unrighteousness of Mankind. So it's not super comfortable to be looking at the reason that we deserve to incur the wrath of God, but the reality is that we don't deserve the grace that God's given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul so, so eloquently tells us and shows us why we're in the position that we are in and what uh, God's intentions are for us and what direction God is taking us. So this is our, like I said, this is our third part series on uh, God's righteousness revealed against the unrighteousness of mankind. The first study, you guys remember, what was the three R's? Repress, reject, and reason. Mankind from the very beginning has clearly, we've clearly seen that they have uh, suppressed or repressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. And what happens when you suppress or repress the truth of God in unrighteousness in your life? What is the next natural thing that happens? You turn to idolatry. That's what happens every single time. You look for something else that you can give that devotion and attention to that God alone deserves. What's the next thing? Reject. When we reject God's truth in our lives, we give ourselves over physically to what sin looks like. And Paul went through and listed those things. How about the reason? Chapter 2, verse 1, the famous words that, that I never heard read before when talking about judging others. 2, verse 1 says, you who judge others are guilty of the same. And you will incur the judgment of God because the same things that you condemn others, you so practice those things. And then last week, we went from the world as a whole. We went kind of looking at the nation of Israel and the promises that they'd received. We looked at moralism, right? What's the three we looked at? Morality, law, and action. There's no level of morality that anybody can have that's going to make them good enough to have some kind of right standing before God. There's, There's no code of morality. It all falls short. The second one was law. Even the Jewish people had the law of God, and they still failed. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. And then the last thing, action, or those things that we do religiously that think give us some kind of special standing before God. And Paul presents very clearly that none of these things give you any uh, any sight or stature, status, before God. Today we're going to look at three F's. To finish our series, we're going to look at favoritism, faithfulness, and failure. Those three things are the completion of man's unrighteousness before God. And when we get to the place where we understand these nine points or nine principles through these first few chapters, we realize, and and we shouldn't be too bummed out about it as Christians because this is speaking to the world as a whole. But we realize we're in a better place to understand our standing before God. Before we came to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and now and after, there's still application for us. So let's open up and start in chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll look at favoritism first. As you can remember, finishing uh, Romans chapter 2, 
the last thing that Paul addressed was circumcision. And that the, the boast that the Jews had in their rites and rituals. Chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Paul's saying, if, if the Jews were some special kind of people, if they even had this rite of circumcision, but God still rejects them based on them trying to fulfill the law and not being able to, and then what is the benefit of being a Jew, right? It's the difference between, you know, rooting for a team and being on the team. If we are on the team in 2020, when the Raiders win the Super Bowl here in Las Vegas, would you rather be the water boy on the team? You're going to be freaking out with everybody. Or would you rather just be a fan? The fans are those people who wanted to know God, but God had chosen his team. He chose the Raiders. I mean, he chose the Jews. And by choosing the Jews, he was going to pour out his promises to them. And even though they couldn't fulfill or live up to the required law that he had for them, Paul's response is that what benefit was it to be a Jew? There were benefits. And we have to remember, we're going to see in the text, we have to remember that they still had a, a, a choice to make. They still had to respond to God a certain way. Just because they had special standing did not mean, and here's the first F if you're taking notes, did not mean that they had special favoritism before God. You know, the funny thing is, I still see people touting that they have some kind of special favoritism from God because they do something special or they call themselves something special or they use certain terms that other Christians don't use or they're part of a certain number of people who believe first. It's, you know what it is? It's baloney. It didn't change from the Old Testament. It didn't change from when Jesus came and died for the sins of the whole world. It didn't change then when Paul was talking about it to the Romans and it surely hasn't changed today. So people don't have some special, super secret spiritual gift that gives them some greater access to God than you or I. We've talked about this before. You know the greatest access that you have to God today is the access that you want to take. That's why Paul emphatically says, or whoever wrote Hebrews, we believe Paul, maybe, says, Come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. Come boldly, whoever you are. There's no special status. There's no favoritism. So what benefit was it for the Jews? What benefit was it? What profit was it for them to have circumcision? Much in every way, Paul says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Now, this is something very interesting, right? The Jews had something that the rest of the world had access to, but they not, had not received directly from God. What was that? The oracles of God. What is another way that we understand the oracles of God? The word of God. The word of God. When we study through Genesis, this still blows my mind to this day when we're reading through the beginning uh, chapters of the book of Genesis. It says, in the beginning, God spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. What did God do to produce light? 
he spoke it into existence. And when God speaks or by God speaking, he gives us a medium. He gives us a way to understand who he is. He says, I want to communicate with you. I want you to know who I am. I want to give you structure to be able to receive revelation from me. I want you to have an ability to speak back to me, to engage in relationship. Because you can't have that without languages, without speech. And you know as well as I, God had the ability to create the heavens and the earth any way that he wanted to. I tell, I've told this story a few times. There's some new faces, so I don't mind telling it again. We were in Croatia doing some street evangelism when we were there planning the church, and I was talking to a group of atheists. In fact, we have this really cool picture. Somebody took a picture of me talking to these guys, and there's like eight of them or ten of them. And if you don't know, Croatians are all like, you, if you're under six foot, you're not a Croatian. You know, they're very tall. So here's this midget white dude from America, you know, and, and they're all head and shoulders above me and they're all wearing total black and then I'm just standing there with my Bible talking to these atheist guys. And one, one of them says to me, hey, you know what I want to know? I got a question for you. And I said, what's up? And he said, if God, if God is so great, if God is so awesome and he can do anything, why did he limit himself to speaking creation into existence? Why didn't he, why didn't he just think it? Why didn't he just, you know, just punch it into existence? do anything, armpit fart it into existence. He could have done anything he wanted, but God spoke. And I said, this is a very important question for you to understand. God spoke creation into existence so that you could understand who he is. God gives you a medium by which he can communicate with you and you can communicate back to him. What benefit was it to be a Jew? They received the oracles of God. God spoke to them. He gave them direction. What's the one thing that I want today more than anything else? I want God to speak to me. I want to hear his word. I want to open and read it and have it pierce my heart. I want to even hear his voice, the still small voice in my heart saying, Tim, this is who you are in me. Tim, this is what I have for you today. Tim, this is the person I want you to love like I loved you unconditionally. Because when I'm in those, those times, and it doesn't happen all the time, it's like Abraham going through the wilderness, right? Every time God appeared to him or spoke to him, he would set up a tabernacle. He's like, oh man, I, 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 I want to remember this. I'm not going to forget. And he'd build this tabernacle to remind him that God had spoken to him. And then he'd go off into the wilderness and he'd get lost. He'd lose his way. He'd make decisions that were bad decisions, just like you and I do sometimes. And when he found himself in a place where he shouldn't be, what did Abraham do? We see biblically, if we turn back and read in Genesis, if he lost his way, he'd go back to the last altar that he had built. When God appeared to him, he'd get redirected and he'd go back out in the direction that God had him go again. We need God to speak to us. And what a privilege, Paul says, what a privilege it was for the Jews that God would speak to them. But here's the tragedy, and it's part of the application for us this morning. It doesn't matter so much if God speaks unless we're willing to also respond. 
Because we can hear God speak. We can open the word of God. We can see God speak to people throughout all of history. And then we also see people doing just what they want to do anyway. What a travesty. And the Jews were the perfect example of a people who had received the word of God and said, you know what, God, this is great, but we're going to do what we want to do, not exactly what you tell us to do. And we've got all these guys that are super brilliant scholars who know different languages, who are going to set up an extra law outside of the written law that you gave us. We're going to call it the oral law. And we're going to pay more attention to following what, what our scholars and scribes and, and, and religious men have to say. We're going to pay more attention to following those laws than to following what your law is. And then the Sadducees and Pharisees, they would challenge Jesus. You can't do this. You can't do that. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You take pride in knowing God's word, but you've you've missed the key. Here they were standing before the Messiah, the son of God, and they were arguing with him because he wasn't willing to submit to their rules and regulations, not to God's. So we see there was a benefit to being a Jew. They had the oracles of God. God would speak to them. Would God do that for us today? Would God do that for you this morning? Maybe we just started, but maybe the Lord has something for you today. And you're going to hear that word. Listen, I don't want you to go away from here, just like when we started Romans, sweeping a conviction sandwich under the proverbial rug. Because sandwiches, they don't fit well under rugs. There's a lump, and then you trip on it, and if you put too much mayonnaise or ketchup on it, it's going to get all over the place. You're going to have to clean it up later. So eat it. Instead of brushing it off, like, it, it, you know, I'll deal with that later. If God has a word for you today, receive it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. For what if some did not believe? Now, the question that Paul's presenting here in our next section, will their unbelief and were the unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The question is that Paul is asking, if God picked these people, if he gave them the law, if his intentions were good for them, doesn't it look like God is unfaithful if he doesn't make them or carry them through to fulfill the law? That's the question. Well, these were your chosen people, God. This was the team that was going to win in 2020. This is what you said was going to happen. But, but that's taking out the human responsibility of the people having to respond to the Lord still, to the law. And they, they, they couldn't do it. They could not live up to the standard, which was, by no surprise, the purpose of the law. That's what the purpose is. The purpose of the law, back when I was a kid, and my family, we would go up to southern Utah on camping trips. I think the speed limit back then, like in the 90s, was like 65. Was it 65, 70? You know. And they keep bumping it up. You know, just this year, they bumped up the speed limit in Nevada. They keep bumping it up. And when it was 65 and we were going, how fast were you going? 75. And the police don't pull you over, you know, if you're doing like, you know, five over. 
And, and now, what's the speed limit up to southern Utah? You want to go in the trees? It's 85. How fast do you think I go? The law is there to show you that you are a lawbreaker. And we're not happy with anybody going under 85 miles an hour. What's wrong with you? And you're in the fast lane, you're doing 84? Get out of here. Run them off the road, babe. I got the trailer. The law was given to show us that we are lawbreakers. The law was given to the Jews not to show them that they were going to be the favored ones, but to show them that even they, even they could not do it. Even even God's faithfulness, so they would say, was not going to carry them over into the next season. So we come to point two. Point one was favoritism. Point two is faithfulness. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. God's placed in a place where he's, he's, he's righteous. He's a righteous God. He's perfect. He's a righteous judge. And he cannot do anything that would inhibit his righteousness. So what would be something that would be counted against God and his righteousness? What one thing would be is if God gave them the law and required them to obey it, if they did not obey it, but then he took care of them and blessed them anyway, God would not be a righteous God. He would not be a good judge. Because the standard would have been lowered to to below what he had said it needed to be. And again, the purpose of the law being to show men their unrighteousness, to show the nation of Israel their unrighteousness. Verse 5, But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I still judged as a sinner? Now, this goes both ways. Again, this is not just speaking of the world, people who think that they can do bad things in the name of God, and it's okay because it's going to his glory, which there are people who believe that. There's one instance that I really want to share with you, but I think it might be too much. There was a church in California that had very, very questionable practices as far as the glory of God being revealed and what they were willing to do to have that come to pass. Slippery slope, big trouble. Can we sin? Can we do something wrong even though the glory of God is being shown through it? Paul says no, and it applies not only to the world and to the church today, but it applies to the Jews then. Could the Jews lie? Could the Jews do whatever they wanted to? But because they were the chosen people of God, because he had given them the law and they were supposed to obey it, could he just he just gloss over that again? The emphatic response is no, he could not. He could not. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported And as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Now, this is interesting. Uh, The way that it reads in the Greek is kind of difficult for us to translate into English. This whole section that we just read. 
But there is a flow, and we can, we can look back at the original language and see that this is what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the righteousness of God, the unrighteousness of man trying to, to appease a holy God. And then here, this last part, we, we see, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. Paul's talking about himself. You see, because Paul was the guy who, whose focus and intention was on the Gentiles. And the Jews were saying all kinds of things about Paul. And they were saying that he was in sin. And they were saying that he couldn't do certain things. And his response to that is that, that that's not who he is. It's a slander. And their condemnation is just. Think about that for a second this morning. Think about the faithfulness of God. Man, this is something that I've really been meditating on lately. For some reason, it keeps coming back. God is, man, God is so faithful to me. Even when I am faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. He responds to me in the place that I'm at continually over and over and over again. And God's heart for you and for me is that we would be in a place where we would meditate on his faithfulness, that we would consider all that he has done for us in spite of ourselves. That's when we go back again to the mercy of God, that I don't receive what I do deserve, that we go back to the grace of God, that it's his unmerited favor that he's given us the, the best gift in the world, first and foremost, his son, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And then the next to ushers, ushers us into a, a healthy, right, righteous relationship with himself. But as I look back over the years, and you can do the same, look back over the years and think of God's faithfulness applied in your life. God's faithfulness when you were trying to be faithful. God's faithfulness when you were faithless. God's faithfulness when you were struggling. God's faithfulness when you were sinning. It doesn't mean that you were in the right place. It doesn't mean that that struggle with sin was okay. It means that God loves you enough to bring you through that season of unfaithfulness on your part. And to put to your account a greater measure of his mercy and a greater measure of his faith. Because he is faithful. And he will always be faithful. So this is the word that comes to my mind when I see the things that are happening in the world right now. When I see the hurricanes, when I see the earthquakes, when I see that we've just finished what they say is the most devastating storm cost-wise in U.S. history that hit the coast of Texas. And when they say right now there's a storm developing off the coast of Florida that's supposed to be worse than Katrina. They're, ha they're talking about having to, to raise it up. The, the cap for the storm intensity is five. They're saying, we're going to have to make a, 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 new, a new scale. We're going to have to go up to six and seven because this storm out there right now that's gaining strength, and we're going to see the progression of it this week, they're predicting to be a Category 6 hurricane. Am I worried about it? I live in Las Vegas. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nothing ever bad ha happens in Las Vegas. That's why we moved here, so that when California slides off into the ocean, we're, we're beachfront property. 
I'm joking. But are we worried? We're not worried. God is faithful. You know that there's a report that came in this morning that there was an earthquake in North Korea. Do you know what the, the fact is? you know what the reality is? There wasn't an earthquake, a 5.2 level earthquake in North Korea. North Korea this morning detonated a nuclear device underground. That's what's being said. And they're continuing to do whatever they want. Am I worried about North Korea? No, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Nuke Vegas, it's quick, you know? To be absent from the body, it's to be present with the Lord. Don't be scared. Like this world is going to have to run its course. Nobody's going to stop that from happening. The United States is not going to be the salvation of the planet. I'm sorry, I'm done now. No more. Our confidence isn't in the things and the people of this world. Our confidence is in the faithfulness of our God. And not temporally, but eternally. Not for this generation or the generation after us. For all generations and all people and all tongues. Forever. That's what our confidence is in. In that level of God's faithfulness. Even in my rebellion, God was faithful in revealing himself to me. How will we be today when we continue to receive that revelation? God, give it to us. Speak to us. Even the hard word, Lords, tell them to us because we want to be more like you. We want to be the people that when we do go, the people that are still here are scared because we went so willingly and so happily, and so joyfully, and so thankgivingly. I just made that word up. That's fine with me. God's faithfulness. God's favoritism, there is none. All men are held under the same standard. His faithfulness extends to all generations. Verse 9. Now, this is, the, this is the, the difficult portion of Scripture for you guys today. You know why? Because nobody likes to hear this stuff, okay? But, like, if we're just honest with ourselves, it's, what, it's the reality. This is what we embrace. This is why we can take such confidence and be so excited about Jesus Christ and, and his cross, his death, and his, his resurrection. This is why. So don't get bummed out. Next week is the start of a new series, and it's all about... God's righteousness in saving mankind. We're just looking at the depravity now, okay? What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. What's the point? Are we better than the Jews? We're in a better place than they are. Are we being favored? No. The point is, everybody's on the same level. We are all, both Jews and Greeks, under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You underline that, the word for today. There is none righteous, no, not one. Even in my own personal motivation to do something nice for somebody else, when I pay it forward, you know, you never hear about people talking about how they don't talk about paying it forward. You know what I'm saying? Like if somebody buys something for them, for somebody in the line uh, behind them at the drive-thru, they got to say something about it. 
they got to record it, post it on Facebook so everybody can see, look how cool I am. You could be cool too. If you pay for the person behind you's meal, they can. It's us, again, the point is like thinking that we're doing something righteous, but then having it nullified because we're bragging about it to the whole world. There are none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who do, do, does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the ways of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is summing up in totality what mankind on earth looks like. There's none righteous. No, not even one. There is none who understands. There are none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, Tim, I think you're kind of a pessimist, man, and that stuff that you just said, there's got to be nice people out there. I'm not telling you it's my opinion. I just read it from the Word of God, the oracles of God. God says, this is my perspective. You guys look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And there is nobody completely pure in heart except for my son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your unpure, sinful hearts. And that's the whole purpose, the direction that Paul is going with this. But let's think back historically. Has there ever been a time in history where these words were demonstrated or we read about? Yeah, actually, there's a couple. What was the first one? God looks out at the sons, the sons and daughters of men over the whole earth, and they were all, what was the key word that he says there in Genesis? They were all corrupt. Corrupt. All of them. But Noah found what? Grace in the sight of God. So was it Noah's works that placed him in a position to be able to be saved in his family? No. It was the favor. It was the grace of God. But everybody else was corrupt. And God had to say, listen, I'm going to have to deal with this corruption. And the, uh, we, what we know as the flood happened in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5, what we're looking at. But let's turn, if you will. I don't make you guys flip too much. I want to make clear something about the heart of mankind Let's turn to Genesis chapter 18 and look at our second story as far as the unrighteousness of mankind goes on the earth. You guys know where we're going? Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a reason that we're going here. Because it really puts the whole picture on a beautiful display. It, it, the... The ark in Noah, it, it, was, it was good for us to understand to a, to, a, to a certain degree. We could understand what God was doing maybe, you know. But, but this account of God's exchange with Abraham over Sodom and Gomorrah lets us see the heart of God and what was the core issue of why their sin had to be addressed. So we're in chapter 18, starting in verse uh, 22. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still, uh, Abraham still stood before the Lord. 
And Abraham came near and said, why would you also, dis- would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? What's the key word there? Right. Remember? We're in Romans. Righteous. Why would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The issue with man is the issue of righteousness and unrighteousness. If there were 50, would you spare the city? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Then Abraham starts to get a little worried. I don't know. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five for 45? It's a city. It's a city. It's not a little town. It's a buzzing hub. A city. 45 righteous people. It's not a big you know, it's not a big number to ask for. So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. You can almost hear the, you imagine having a conversation with the Lord. And there's that confidence in his voice. I won't do it for 40. Won't do it. No deal for 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He's skipping the fives and he's going to tens. He's like, let's speed this up. You know, like. Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak, but once more, suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself down with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go your way. But they said, No. But we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. We see a few things here in the story with Lot, the angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the conversation that abraham was was able to have with the lord what's the first thing we see we see that god does have a heart for people he didn't want that city to be in the place that it was at that time but if we read a little earlier before where we started he'll say the cries of the people on the unrighteous acts that are being done to the people their cries are rising to my ears and i have to go see if it's true and if it's true, I have to deal with it. How many righteous people were in Sodom and Gomorrah at that time? How many? One. One man 
who by, his, by the grace of God, God allowed him to take his family and anybody who would go with him. But one man, and his righteousness, again, was connected to the righteousness of Adam or Abraham, whose righteousness was because of the faith that he had in God. And the same is true today. Again, if we're in the place that we're in right now, it's not because of our own righteousness, the good things that we can do. It's because of the righteousness that God has placed to our account because of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. No, none are righteous, not not even one. All of mankind has been put under the judgment of God. Now, many people, and there's many times that you'll hear that that's where they stop. We are all under God's judgment. But the next verses that we're going to read next week (laughs) are about the unimaginable, unknowable, miraculous loving grace of God our Father who reaches down into this sinful humanity who if I were him, I'd have got rid of y'all a long time ago, you know. We'd be hanging out, me and him, because I'm righteous. No, none, nobody, the whole world is put up under this unrighteousness. And we're going to see Flipping back to Romans chapter 3, how God demonstrates his righteousness powerfully, and it's through faith, just like the faith of that of Abraham. It's going to be through faith his righteousness is revealed. Let's read those last two verses one more time and we'll close. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. There's the key right there. It sums the whole thing up. Underline it. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Favoritism. There's no favoritism with God. Faithfulness. In spite of everything that we do and who we are, God is faithful to make a way for you and for me. God is faithful today to meet you in the struggle that you're going through. God is faithful to meet you in this season of blessing. He's faithful in every season to meet you, to teach you, to love you, and to show you who he wants you to be for his sake. And then the third failure, all mankind has failed. Now God gives us the blessed opportunity by faith to receive the grace of his son Jesus Christ so that we can be in the place that he wants us to be in right fellowship and relationship with him. Let's pray. God, we ask today that you would hear our prayer to you for ourselves, 
that we want to be in a better place. Lord, we want your word to speak to us so that we can adjust our lives so we can be more like you. We also pray that you'd equip us with the equipping that you've given us of your Holy Spirit to be bold and to share this good news with the people that we know and love. That it's okay to fail. It's okay to be a failure as long as you recognize that the righteousness that that we really desire, that we really truly need, put to our account is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God through your Son, Jesus Christ. In spite of our failure. To ring true in your faithfulness. God, we love you. And we, we pray that you'd continue to move in our midst as you have been. Move in our church. Wash us with the water of your word. Sanctify us so that we would be a church. We would be your church that shines like the light from the top of a mountain. That people would know us by our love for one another. People would know us by our love for our Lord. And that we would practice those things that you gave to us that would be glorifying to you. Not that we find standing because of those things, but in obedience you are glorified as well. We give you our hearts this morning and we thank you for this time in your word in Jesus' name.